Welcome to Right Night. This is one of my older interviews from Sounds Esteem from 2012 through 2014, or one of the interviews I did at a convention along the way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a little bit of retro interview from myself and others. Right Night is a talk show with published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivart. Speaking of airships, look who just dropped in. We've got Daniel Burrow, creator of Tefra, the steampunk role-playing game, and his uh, most favorite minion and developer, Charlie Staden, who we'll have on in another couple weeks to play a live game of this. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Okay. Nice. So did, did I miss anything in the intro there? Did I miss certain credentials or laurels? Sounds nope. good. I That's... figure out if I'm going to have to... Explain to the rest of my crew why Charlie's my favorite minion. <laughs> I just made that up. You could totally shoot that one down. That's right. <laughs> no, no, I, I think they've heard me brag about Charlie enough that they would understand. Have they? So what kind of things do you brag about with Charlie? <laughs> um, the podcast that he got me on. Yeah, really? that's one of them. <laughs> cool, cool. Is that us? My mistake. Oh, oh, so now it is us. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Muppet arms. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Happy so, That's right. Uh, so, Daniel, why don't you jump in and just tell – give a breakdown of Tefra. When somebody goes, what What the hell is that? What do you say? So, Tefra is a it's, a it's a steampunk role-playing game. There's a lot of different fantasy and heroic out there elements. Um, but at its core, it's really – Rooted in Victorian science fiction, mad science, over-the-top automatons, weapons, flying airships, rocket packs, all sorts of crazy things. So you purposely aim for, like, the over-the-top angle on it? To a certain extent, yeah. I, I like to keep my games realistic, and a lot mm-hmm. of my narrators like to keep things pretty realistic. But then there's a lot of people who don't. You know, we go to a lot of anime conventions and comic conventions, and, you know, people people just really like that over-the-top atmosphere that we, we let them do. I think there's uh, – see, I'm, I'm with you. I like it more realistic, but I like over-the-top actions to be quasi-feasible. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're – and just for the listeners here, it's a D12-based system. And if you roll a 12, you get to roll again, et cetera, et cetera. So you can get pretty high rolls, and that's where you get your incredible outlandish feats that you might be able to swing into it there. Um, I, I love that D12 concept, too, because the the 12-sided die doesn't get a heck of a lot of love from a lot of games. Oh, yeah. It, it's been ignored and abused for years. It has been. Wait. Oh, the D12, you mean. Never mind. Yes. I'll put my pants on. <laughs> um, so does, does the D12 relate to the clock face at all? The D12 is definitely a major part of the fact that we called it the clockwork system. Uh-huh. Um, ironically, we, we had decided that we were going with a clockwork motif and a using the D12 long before we ever realized that those two things were interrelated. And at that point, we <laughs> called it the clockwork system. 
But that's, that's so funny because the first time I picked it up, that was immediately what I picked up on was the fact there was a 12-sided die and it was a clockwork system. I mean, it just it clicked. It seems so yeah. obvious in hindsight. Yeah. It's the first and, time I met Charlie and I looked at it. That was mentioned. I don't actually remember if he mentioned it or I mentioned it, but in that opening conversation, it was there. So, yeah. Good job. Even in hindsight. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we decided that we'd go with a D12 pretty early on because I like the way it rolled. I thought it had a good range of numbers. You know, I mm-hmm. wanted a, a die that could be iconic of our game. Right. And, you know, almost every other die is taken. So, you know, the D12 fit us nicely. So do you have a Tefra 12 in the works? We do. I've, I've actually had a jeweler do a 3D model of one. Oh, yeah? Uh, hopefully I'll... I'll get a get a printout before too long. You know what? Um, going to conventions, you're always seeing these guys with the 3D printing machines now, mm-hmm. and it's pretty reasonably priced material. Like one D12 might cost you a three four bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you have a design, call one of these guys. And uh, it's funny you mention that because really? <laughs> one of the guys down here that I know who owns a gaming store is purchasing a 3D printer. And we're talking to him about maybe doing some stuff for us as well. Cool. Well, I won't ask for any more spoilers on that, but though you can give them if you want. Is that Jersey's, by the way? Uh, no. Okay. It's it's Atlantis Comics and Games. Brian with Atlantis Comics. Yes, yes. Please plug the place and let him get yep. some attention there. It's uh, yeah. I know you quite often host um, games at the other one. That's why I asked. Uh, I, yeah, I try to hit all the gaming stores locally. I, you know, when I owned my store, I met all these guys, and so... Mm-hmm. They've been really, really supportive about that me makes. coming in, doing demos, putting the books on the shelf, as Daniel can tell you. So uh, when you were in the business, you found all the gaming stores were pretty friendly with each other? Well, yeah, to a point. And I was trying to do some things that was a little bit different. I wanted to put together a uh, – I know this is off topic, but one of the things we were going to do was a, a player's uh, passport. So where if you went to each store and played a game, you would get stamped. Hmm. And then after you got stamped, everybody would get a discount. And so I was trying to sort of pull the the retail gaming community a little bit together. Actually, that's a great idea. And Daniel, keep that in the back of your mind. There's got to be something with that that you can use. That is a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, even if you just have stations throughout a convention where you're selling your books and they go get them stamped and come back and get a discount on a book because of it. Well, this and, and this is something I thought about is that we make a tap a tap for a passport, and people buy it, and then if they go to different locations and do demos, they get it stamped. You get so many stamps, you might get a special expansion or right, right, and an adventure. Maybe a patch. We have patches that we could give them. So that's right. There when we go. go, we go to at least a dozen, half a dozen event or conventions throughout Texas every year. So we nice. have some followers. Be fun. I, I ha- already have the design. I'll send it to you, Damon. <laughs> and that's little why he's my favorite. <laughs> that's right. Did, little did you know this was going to be a planning session as opposed to an interview. <laughs> it was. So, Daniel, out of all the possible RPGs that you, you could have come up with, why did you go with a steampunk game? Just out of curiosity. At first, I didn't. At first, I was making a game that would fit more into tech fantasy. And... Uh, Tefra definitely is a tech fantasy when you when you get right down to it. But you know, we even we evolved and we were moving through things, and eventually we decided, man, let's add airships. Mm-hmm. And then a couple months later, 
We really want trains. Okay, yeah, let's have trains. Oh, okay, let's, let's talk about the fashion of Tefra. Well, what if it was, like, 1800s and people wore top hats and had big mustaches? That'd be wonderful. And then we started looking around and realized, oh, there's a there's a genre that we just <laughs> worked our way into. It was, it was, again, it was another one of those hindsight things. You know, the D12, the clockwork system, steampunk, it... Eventually, we all just kind of fit into together. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they were like a bunch of fortunate accidents. <laughs> no, it's exactly what it was. <laughs> um, you know, I and mean, we just, we started playing around with some different, like, magical, more fantasy elements. And eventually, we realized that that just didn't fit the world that we wanted to play in. So, we scrapped a lot of those things, kind of reflavored some new things. And eventually, we had a world that I was very happy to call steampunk. And you do. Like- I'm sorry, Wendy, go ahead. I'm just going to ask you, do you feel like your own gaming background um, kind of figured into that and experiences playing, you know, other RPGs yourself? My experience playing RPGs, I wouldn't say so. Um, my one, one stipulation there would be that I've always really enjoyed urban settings. You know, almost so all Shadow of my Run. gaming, yeah, almost all yes. my gaming takes place in the metropolises of the fantasy worlds. You know, and when I can, I tend to add you know, a little bit more of a renaissance into my fantasy, you know, so taking it to the next level, it just was a perfect fit for me. Plus, when I look at my favorite, favorite media that I consume every day, from Girl Genius to Full Metal Alchemist, even some of the Final Fantasies that I consider my favorites, all those, all those are just really amazing. And then they, they, they are what inspired Tefra the most. Oh, wow. Okay. And you do have a whole world, um, looking through the material uh, for anybody who's interested, there is a whole world here. It has cultures, it has races, it has places, it has things. Um, whereas also looking at it, if you have a different world you want to slip this into, it looks very easy to adjust the system with, with the most minor of changes. Yeah, and plus two, I mean, if you go to the website, www.crackmonocle.com, you know, we have a form, and there's so much stuff that Daniel and Alex and me and other guys have put up on the form, and also on the actual website. I mean, they talk about the world, they talk about the races. So there's even more out there than what's in the book, right, Daniel? Exactly. Yeah, we were we're trying to expand a lot on what the the book is able to do. Um, you know, when when I first made the book, I, I wanted a book that was more system um, and a little less lore because I wanted. I wanted players to be able to think, you know, I want to put this wherever I want it to go. Right. You know, make their own setting, have fun with it, make things up. No, that's the sort of game that I like to run. Um, you know, we've met a lot of people who want more lore, and now we're trying to give them that more lore through our expansions and our website and the, putting more stuff up there. I think that's a great way to do it because, you know, looking back at uh, TSR and its various incarnations and how it did it, and it just – it would flood you with a world. And you felt like you had to get it all. And I I love the core rules that you can put where you want, when you want, and then the expansions to give you more. I I like that. Well, you know, and that's one of the things that really first drew me to it is that when I sat down and looked at this and realized, you know, this is, you know, I started role playing in 1976 with a Xerox copy of the original D&D rules. And it was 
you know, 10 pages, simple. You could take Did it you keep and put sniffing it. sniffing the purple ink? Yeah. <laughs> we had special dice in those days. But you could take it and you could literally put it anywhere. And, and you know, that is what Tefra has reinvented as far as I, I'm concerned as a game. You know, they've brought back that feel of old style role playing. And it's real role playing. I mean, you know, it, it's. You know, you've heard me say it before, it's not the modern video game, you know, oh, well, I'm dead, I'll just respawn somewhere else and go on. It's back to the old school role playing. Well, that's something else. In the game, you have a narrator as opposed to a game master. Right. And that kind of leans towards the White Wolf storyteller, which for some reason, that system in itself really lent itself to role playing. I saw people who would always hack and slash get into that game system, and for some reason, they started role playing without realizing it and you feel like this one does the same thing for folks you know one of, one of the things that i, I want to i'm just going to touch on the term narrator real quick mm-hmm. you know the term game master has always felt a little too overbearing to me mm-hmm. you know a lot of people approach that and, and go oh you are the master of the game everyone must do what you say and i've always been like it's such a community effort for me you know i'm getting five of my closest friends and we're sitting at the table, I don't want to be over here adjudicating to them. That that sounds awful to I me. I agree. I've got <laughs> players who come nice, in. Nice. Hmm? Yeah. No, no. Go ahead. I was going to say nice word. I like that yeah. word. Adjudicating. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had players come in and I'm like, oh, we're going to learn, learn a new game. You read this book, you read that book, I'll read the main rules, we'll go forward. And I've had a player go, wait a minute, you're the game master, you should read them all. And I'm like, what? No. No, my job here is to react to your characters, not spoon-feed you adventure, right. and you just roll dice. It, right. It's a group effort, and I don't care how good somebody running the game is, if they don't have a good group around them, it's not going to be a good game. Uh, that's yes. exactly, exactly I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, that's very true. You know, and one of the things for me, like, the adventure that we're working on right now, I like to really concentrate on settings. And if you look at some of the adventures I've done, Daniel can tell you, I create these incredible settings. I don't get too much in detail of how it impacts the characters because I think it's the characters that impact it. Mm-hmm. Not the other, it shouldn't be the other way around. And really, what I, to me, it's more important about making a setting that characters can react and move in and do things in than it is to have the, you know, everybody, there is a plot train. Everybody's got the plot train, but it's nice to know that as a player, you can change that and you can move on. Mm-hmm. And it's flexible enough to where, you know, it's not going to railroad you eventually into one direction. That's something I've encouraged in my games is I will make up the adventure as it needs to be. But frankly, if you go, oh, I don't want to do that, turn around, walk away, please do. Because yeah. you'll make it entertaining for me now. You'll make crap up, and I'll just tell you how people react to you. I don't care. That's right. It's more fun like that when you when you have to kind of pull stuff Open out Open world, of, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wendy's actually going to be running the game for us. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, Wendy and Daniel were the ones who ordered the books, by the way, Daniel. In Nebraska. We have players in Nebraska. Nice. Well, Another state down. From- and my nephew, who lives in California, told me he probably wants a book. So we'll actually have players from east to west coast. So, Yay. <laughs> Daniel, you said you're in Texas? I am. What part mm-hmm. of Texas? I'm in Austin. Dead central. I have friends in Austin. And matter of fact, one that might be joining us for the game. So awesome. I'll have to spread that around. And we actually have quite a, quite a large steampunk contingent in Austin. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. By large, I might mean five or six people, but that's pretty large for one, sm- <laughs> you know, one town in some cases. Well, Texas uh, has a lot of steampunk conventions now, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they've got, what, five or six now, Daniel, don't they? Yeah, it's growing. Yeah. And even the com- comic conventions that have been going on have a steampunk track. Yes. I mean, even here we have NECACON November, and it's like this little steampunk group is starting to grow and grow and grow. And in one year, NECACON actually did the theme steampunk just so they could satisfy all their little steampunkers that were getting in there. Have you and considered was, going to any of those conventions, just out of curiosity, taking the books? and? We've, uh, we've run a couple of those. We've been to almost all of them. Um, we ran Clockwork Con a couple couple years ago, um, and then we've been really involved with the steampunk tracks. Uh, we just got back from Space City Con, where my PR guy Alex ran all the steampunk panels there, um, and then we did uh, Comic Palooza a couple of months back, and that was a pretty similar story with a whole lot of steampunk action going on there. So yeah, we we try really hard to be involved in the steampunk scene. Yeah, nice. And we're going to try to do more in in the East Coast area. I mean, you know, the first one ever to happen here in Virginia on a peninsula was the one that me and David Lee did down at the uh, Hampton History Museum. That's so, where I met you. Yeah, that's where you met me. So, you know, the group is big time into pushing it and getting it out there, I think. I think actually what I like about Tefra is that it is a classless system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got the this handful of, like, skills and abilities that you can – you can combine to make like a unique character every time, and it's not—it's not an overwhelming amount of these skills or abilities or traits or anything. So did you try to keep it small intentionally? We worked really hard to keep it manageable, and that's kind of why you'll—you'll you'll see that things are broken down the way they are. You know, you can—you can tell like, okay, I want my character to be really dexterous. <laughs> okay, under dexterous, what do I want him to be? Well, I want him to be a marksman. Okay. Now I just need to choose a couple specialties under marksmanship. Done. Pretty easy for a lot of new players. We uh, we definitely wanted that very open feel, but eventually we realized that we had 400 specialties in the book. So, <laughs> you know, the, the the fact that you would you would say that it's not overwhelming, I, I think I think it's high praise considering how many that we have. On the other hand, we did kick out about 100 specialties before our release. You know, just just to make sure that everything stayed kosher. Um, of course, those hundred specialties will be coming out in expansions. What do you have coming up in expansions and such? Well, we have lots of things online from um, our Living Liquids craft expansion to our Armsmith Extra, where you can build bigger turrets and shields and different things. We're also working on a book... That will help you make NPCs, build large monsters, run more exciting combats. That's that's something I'm really excited about. And then right after that, I'm hoping to release a book that will just focus on the nation of Evanglas, which is kind of the central, very steampunk nation in the world. Yes. You know. And not to mention, also, we're redoing the Explosives expansion, which should be coming out very soon. Very so. soon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. How many how many expansions do you have out as of this moment? Uh, just PDF wise, I'd probably say we have is it six or seven. Um, yeah. And then, just- and then we should we have a we have a poster up, uh, a couple other little things, and then we have a 
card game coming out soon, and then a couple hard or a couple soft covers that should be out with before the year's out. Nice, a lot coming up then. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on, and, and uh, yeah, in two weeks we're gonna have Charlie back on. We're gonna do a demo game, um, probably one of the pre-mades on air. And uh, Daniel, are you joining us to play for that one? I don't know if I will be. You're welcome if you're available. Well, I appreciate that. Charlie's the boss, so check with him. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'll do. And welcome back. We're here with Gabriel LaForge again from City of Steam and Mechanist Games. Hey, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming back. Appreciate it. I'm happy to do so. It's. I am sitting here looking over your website as we speak, and uh, yeah, I've I've learned a lot since we last spoke, and uh, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some cool stuff I'm going to ramble on about. But uh, okay, so last week uh, we had you on for just a couple minutes and let people know about City of Steam, and this week we're going to go a lot more into it now that maybe some of our listeners have had a chance to test it, and. Sure. Uh, then again, maybe in the future, have you back on and go over the game a little bit more as it develops and gets closer to release. Which, by the way, do you have any idea when release is? Full release? No, we're, we're way too early for that. But um, the closed beta phases will end uh, just at the end of December. Okay. And after we have more information of how the bugs went and uh, what worked, what didn't work, what we need to um, balance and everything... Uh, we're hoping to have the open beta sometime early next year. Okay. So um, you're looking at probably a, a late spring or early summer for a full game release? That's so that's what we're, we're, we're gunning for, but we'll, we'll see how closed beta goes right. first. If everything right. is completely broken, it might take a little more time. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I've been playing it, and it looks pretty good, and your guys are really on top of when there is a problem shutting it down, which is what closed beta is all about, shutting it down, fixing it on the spot and bringing it back up. Um, I dealt with a couple people in the game. And you've got some loyal fans already inside the game that just sit there and answer questions for people. Yes, we do. We've, we've, we've been pushing the game um, since about last year when we went uh, we started going public about the game. Uh, we, we've gathered a few loyal fans one by one from then and then started doing PR, started to, to get more people in. And uh, people stuck around because we actually talk to them. <laughs> I was at a convention. I had somebody stop me, a young lady with a camera stopped me and asked me to take a picture of my boots. <laughs> and I said, okay. And she afterwards mentioned that she was working with an MMO to oh. find pictures of gear, ideas of equipment and stuff like that. And that's why she was doing it. Now, I have no idea if that was you. I was given a card, but still really cool. How do you guys go about getting ideas for your gear? Um, a lot of it comes from within the brain of our lead designer, late David Lindsay. He, um, he actually used to write a whole series of role-playing books, um, sort of like on the, uh, the D20 type uh -huh. rules. Which, which ones? And, um, the New Epoch. Okay. They were and they, they're, they're still available. Um, they're, they're not complete, unfortunately. He went uh -huh. through three books and then stuff. If, if you really want to play, they're still playable, but there's some information. Is one. it steampunk? But the, it is... We hesitate to call it steampunk because it's not that pure, but there are definitely heavy steampunk elements to it. We, we call it industrial age fantasy. Okay, it's so... Uh, yeah, I know... It's like a subgenre, yeah. 
with with City of Steam, I would definitely safely put it in the steampunk genre because something we've discussed on the show a lot is how steampunk is this huge spectrum. And yeah. a lot of things uh, fit sure. into it to one person that don't to somebody else. Coming from a steampunk fan, that, that means a lot because we know some people can be very picky about what is what they like. <laughs> and that's why we, 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 has, we know there's steampunk to it, but we don't want to be like, it's a steampunk game because there are goblins, there are there is some kind of magical forces to it. It's, it's kind of a mix and blend. So. I, I have been to conventions where they have steampunk fairies and goblins all blended very well. Magic is a steeped part of a portion of steampunk. If you look at uh, Mary Shelley Frankenstein, Bram Stoker Dracula, mm. and also with the pagan community, it's very popular. So bringing magic in shouldn't be much of an issue for, for the majority. You always right. have your purists. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you guys... Uh, uh, now, th- this company, Mechanist Games, your company, it's mm-hmm. your first game at all or your first MMO? It is our very first game, actually. Um, many of us have worked in gaming companies before, mm-hmm. uh, in different companies separately. Uh, but coming together to make City of Steam with um, with David Lindsay's lore, to, to put it all together, make an MMO out of it, this is our first game as this company is making this game. Very cool. And uh, so I guess that kind of answers my next question. I was going to ask why Steampunk, but if you went with the lore of New Epoch, then that would yeah. kind of explain that one. Yeah, it, it was it was it was his choice, but a choice we weren't against. It's it's there's so much awesome to it. It's unbelievable. If um if you've seen the animation of the World Machine, where it's like I have, it's the entire planet of this world. It's not like a round planet as you'd imagine. It's actually flat. It is a flat planet, but it's a gear um, connected to other uh, spokes. It's it's a basically a huge machine people live on. I remember when I first logged in and watched the opening animation because I watched it all and beautiful music, uh, the voiceovers and the lyrics as well as the narration is seamlessly done and wonderful sound. The visual look is stunning and it just pans across the whole city pointing out different places and then when it goes into the opening animation, it does exactly what you said and just described. But for the listeners... It does show this flat world with something else going around it that actually it's been a little bit uh, spaced out on what it is. But it has your four quasi-elements of, mm-hmm. what was it, coal, the- rust, steam, and oil, right? Yes, precisely. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember some things, other things You've I have done forget. your research, sir. <laughs> I stared at the beautiful thing going, wow, this is cool. Um, it reminds me of the old Dungeons & Dragons where you had not only your elements, but you had your para-elements in between them. So you did have steam and lava and whatnot. But right. of course, this is more industrial age aim. So, but yeah, it's a flat world and, and it did make me wonder about the science and the physics of it and it made me shake my head and go, stop. It's a game. Don't put too much into it. So how much science is there in the lore here? There is actually a lot. Um, everything connects to science in a certain way. Even, even how magic works. It's mm-hmm. not just. It's magic. I don't have to explain it. No, it's it's connected a lot to the channeling the energies of the world machine itself. As things spin, mm-hmm. it creates waves. It creates sound. It creates um, very good. So, for example, one of my favorite classes, the uh, the channeler, that's is what I what played. You would, matter of fact, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
See, there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. What they do, they're, they're kind of like a hybrid between a cleric and a bard. They support and heal and channel energies through sound. They've found ways to, if, they, if you play a certain note, if you play a certain sound, mm-hmm. it will make the mechanism itself react a certain way, and that's how they channel that energy to do what they want. Very cool. It's uh, And by the way, for anybody that heard Bard Cleric Blend, it still solos well. I tend to <laughs> yes, pretty oh, much yeah. solo until I make a, a tight group of friends that I can game with. And yeah, I, I went to level 3 or 5, I think 5, maybe even 6, without a problem. And, it's, uh, there's a bit of an inside joke because I always play the Chandler. Uh-huh. And in Alpha, it was way overpowered. And people keep kept giving me crap for it, and now I still keep playing it. And people say it's still overpowered. Stop playing January. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> so. Why do they say it's overpowered? What are they are they crying about PvP? Um, they're, they're kind of crying about PvP. It's 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 the the fact that they're the only ones who have um a dedicated healing ability right now. Okay. So when you're running around in PvP, unless you have um, healing potions with you, or what we call them, health jabs, they're right. kind of like. Which is really cool, by the way, and also I like how you have it on the keyboard where it is just hotkeyed automatically. Hmm. Um, That's that's actually, that comes a lot from player suggestions. We used to be a more of a mouse movement game, a mouse controlled mm -hmm. game, but people wanted WASD, they wanted uh, more hotkeys, we're like, sure, we can do that, and uh, we put it in. That's good, so you're listening to a lot of player input on this? Yeah, we we, we have to, We're, we're not a we're not a ter- terribly huge company, so we can't really, and plus we're new, so we can't really rely on a dedicated fan base or advertisement as much. So Right. Well, I think it's it's important to have a balance of listening, but not to the point where the players create the game. You still want them no. to have your product, and uh, a lot of the bigger companies miss out on that Yeah. of listening uh, to we, the players. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've been, I, I've been in... Um, in the industry for, for a couple of years now, and, and I know a lot of, if, if we left it up to the players completely, we would end up with <laughs> insane ideas. Yes. But, but when, when, it's, when it comes together as a whole, when, when one person says something and nobody else really goes with it, you can kind of leave it, or if people like, leave it. Yes. If somebody says something and then other people agree, and then they build up on the other, so you could do this, you could do that, and then make something that makes sense that we can do with a right. uh, game, with our lore, with our engine, mm-hmm. sure. We have time. If, if if people would actually enjoy it, if it improves the game, yeah, there's no yeah. reason why we shouldn't. I've definitely, uh, I'm a writer, and of course with the show and other creative endeavors, there's been times where I've asked input, and I've explained to whoever I'm getting input from, yeah, if you tell me something, I'll take it for what it's worth and take it under advisement. If five people or 50 people tell me something, then I need to listen. And exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. So going back to the different classes against itself, um, I think we mentioned nine races, four classes. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, to clarify for the listeners, some of these races, there are multiple human races, so they're kind of regional human races. And then there's what, two or three elven races? There's two elven races. And then there's a really three... pale one with the dark hair. That's Draug. It's basically what people would call Dark Elf. Okay, good. Go ahead. And there's three what? There's three green skin races, the Goblin, Hob, and Orc. There we go. Now, what's the difference between those three? 
Oh, that, there's very interesting differences. You have goblins, which were the first greenskin race to kind of integrate with the civilized, quote unquote, lands. Uh-huh. Um, and they're kind of they're kind of kooky. They like tinkering with stuff. They like discovering things. They're they're very energetic, energetic, and all over the place. They they they, they breed like bunnies. They have huge families. <laughs> Um, Hundreds of times but, a week, I research that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's fun about it is when they were co- when they were in the concept stages, we kind of had more of a typical ugly, warty goblin design in mind. But mm-hmm. being a Chinese company, we sometimes have misunderstandings or different views on what things are because we're well, you know, Eastern thinking, not Western thinking. Yeah, and their and, their mythology for goblins is very different from the Western thinking. Exactly. So once they came up with the goblin, it was more of like a sprite-like face, kind of cute-ish. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know what? Yeah, that looks great. So we went with that. Good. There's a lot of, you know. Anyway, so yeah, that's goblins. Um, then we have the hobs, which are kind of in between the orc and the goblin. They're they're kind of the militaristic. They've um, they have a wild streak, but they they respect authority. They're very disciplined with okay. the right. So. They do well in armies. They do well as mercenaries. They also do well as street gangs because, you know, they follow the tough guys. Right. Um, and then orcs. Well, they're orcs. They, they come from the wildlands. They were the very <laughs> last ones to, to integrate into any sort of... So they're your barbarian-type race. Yeah, there's still a lot of outskirt barbarian tribes out there, but some are going towards the middle, going towards civilization. But to do so, they have to go through very strict... Re-education camps. <laughs> uh, if, 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 you, if, if you like Easter eggs and little lore oh, yeah. tidbits and games, mm-hmm. you'll see there's a lot of tension between other races and the greenskins. Greenskins have to suffer a lot of prejudice and racism. And yeah, I noticed their, their part of town that I went into was a little run down and not taken care of there. Yeah. And, pr- pr- and the refuge itself, where you start, is yeah. run down anyway. But if you it go is. to the greenskin part, it's even more so. It is. I don't know if you, if you listen, if you go to the rail hauler, or that's what we call trains in the mm-hmm. game, um, there's an announcement saying uh, all foreign nationals and greenskins must report to this area. It's like foreign yeah. nationals and greenskins, whatever you are, you're completely separate from. <laughs> it's subtle, but yeah, I noticed that when I got off the uh, rail hauler there. I want to call it a train just out of instinct, but so... <laughs> Okay, we got the races there, and then we have your the classes, which you have. I played the channeler. I'm going to forget the others. Why don't you just rattle them off? Yeah, sure. Um, you have the warder, which is basically your your front runner tank. Usually, mm-hmm. uh, he's the one who he or she, sorry, will be the one that you, that uses melee weapons. You're up front. You're getting up close and personal. Gotcha. Um, then you have your arcanist, which is more mage, of a mage, yeah. mage type. You channel fire, lightning, ice, and use that to your advantage for a lot of um, area effect damage um, and other abilities depending on which class tree you decide to go. Mm-hmm. And I'll get into that a bit later, um, given time. And then yeah. you have your gunner. Your gunner, well, guns, self-explanatory. <laughs> so... Okay, so we're looking at a warder as a tank. Uh, are you going with the traditional tank healer DPS roles, or can one class do more than one role, or do you have other 
Because I've, I've played one game where they had a controller role that does buffs, crowd control, etc. How does it work in this one? Um, the roles are more dedicated uh, to the skill tree itself, depending mm-hmm. on which one you choose, not necessarily the class. For example, the channeler, one of the skill trees you could choose is healing, but there are two others you could decide to choose. One is more DPS, damage per second, and the other is more buffs, protection, and area of effect damage. Very so cool. you could you could tank and DPS with a channeler, which is a traditionally more of a healer bard type, right. but you can mix it around a bit. So there's a Very lot of good. customization to the rules. It's I did notice that when looking at the you have skills and talents and correct me if I'm using the wrong terminology. Um but yeah, every time I leveled, there's a place where I can go in and you have three different kind of cog wheels of skills and one was Increasing stats. One was increasing uh, passive abilities, like uh, being able to equip more armor, more more Thank you. accessories. Uh, increasing one? your 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 weapon, your weapon, uh, because you can choose three weapon stances. One is weapon and shield, mm-hmm. dual wield, or two handed, and that's for all three classes. Good, good. Yeah, it's uh, and that was interesting. Then you go into your talents, which is more specifically the class-related things. Exactly. Uh, there's, it's not... In this particular closed beta, it's not ready yet. We're hoping to have it ready by the third or fourth um, beta season, we call them, mm-hmm. which is five days of testing. Okay. Um, and by then, you'll be able to, specif- uh, to specialize mm-hmm. more in uh, one branch of that class. So there's, there's even more customization by the way. And just so the listeners know, when doing these things, you have that skill or that talent, and then you can put extra points into it up to five, I believe. Yes, up to five, like, ticks. Yeah, allowing you to specialize even more in that one thing and pump it up a little bit, which is kind of a cool thing, because it's... I've always liked the, uh, in any game, the balance of you can have three things you do really awesome, or you could have 50 things you do, eh, not so well. Exactly. And, you you could you could totally do that with our game. <laughs> yeah, and it's I appreciate that that way of coming at it because I really haven't seen it anywhere else except for paper and pen role playing games. Mm-hmm. So, uh, last week we we spoke about it's a browser based game instead of a client based. So, what made that come about? Well, the the main reason for that is accessibility. Mm-hmm. We want. Pretty much anyone who wants to play can just jump in and play. We've, even though the game looks, uh, you know, 3D, it looks like it would take a heavy download to, 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 to play and everything. It does not oh, yeah. need, um, that much space at all. Uh, to load the first screen of the tutorial, mm-hmm. you need about two or three megs of download and the rest is streamed from there. Yeah, so, two or three megs, as we all know nowadays, loads in no time. In, in nothing, yeah. Unless, unless you're stuck on dial up, then you might have to wait a bit, but, uh, <laughs> Well, I think the people uh, who are stuck on dial-up will uh, understand. Well, I think they'd understand, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the main reason. It's it's easy to load. It's easy to get into. It has the potential, like I was talking to um, one of my coworkers before, it has the potential if sometimes you have a friend you want you really want to play a game with. It's like, I want to play this game with you, but yeah. you're stuck with a barrier that they either have to buy the game, subscribe to the game, or download this massive game so that maybe you can play together two days later, but by the time they do that, you've 
moved beyond that point. Yeah, they have to start you, over. You hate them and don't talk to them anymore. Yeah, yeah I know you, that goes. Well, it could happen in 48 hours. <laughs> um, but with our game, you sign up, you jump in, you play. There's no huge. Uh, what's and that word? There's no huge. Uh, resources required? Resources required. The Olympic running thing you have to jump over. Hurdle. hurdle. There you go. Hurdle. There's, there's, no, there's no huge hurdle that you have to go over. It's uh now, for example, I play a lot of these games with my son, and he frankly doesn't have the gaming computer that I have. He's running off a laptop. So, what kind of resources does this take? Is this something where you need eight um, gigs? Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually been able to play this game on uh, certain tablets. Really? Uh, yeah. It's, it's 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 awkward, if, especially if it's a touch tablet, but it, it's, it can still work. Um, Interesting. On, on connect, connection can be very modest. They once uh, loaded up the game with an airport Wi-Fi. Um, very cool. Yeah, uh, you pretty much. We were still testing which specific um, hardware you need, mm-hmm. uh, but we've gone pretty low. Pretty much, what you need is a browser, mm-hmm. a connection, and a graphics card. Oh, and, and by the way, I did. Able to play. I was playing it off Google Chrome, so it's not just Explorer that people can use, or yeah. Internet no, Explorer. no. As long as your browser can, as long as your not just your browser, but as long as your machine, mm-hmm. if you're playing a Mac or or a PC, as long as you have the capability to run the Unity plugin, the Unity engine, you can play the game. Okay. Let's see. What other questions do I have here for you? Uh, okay, we mentioned. Uh, Accounts. So, are you going to be free to play? Are there going to be accounts or the blended thing where you can do both? It is free to play. That's that's that also touches in the accessibility thing. We want anybody who wants to play to come in and play. Of course, we have to make money, so we have a cash shop for right. for for convenience items and aesthetic items, but no exclusive items. We know about pay to win and how people hate it. Some of us used to work in a company that made. Pay to win games, we were like, we can do a lot better than that. So good, we're avoiding good. that like the plague. Yeah, as a casual gamer, that does drive me crazy. But now, what doesn't drive me crazy, and I like to see, is are you going to have, for example, specialized mounts or pets or whatever available in the store that you can't get in the game? Things that don't affect anything except the visual. Oh, you're going to love this. Um, you know how... How we, we, we put it as industrial age. You know, yes. Industrial age fantasy. There's steampunk. You're not going to be riding horses around. Horses don't even exist in this world. So you're Go not going to be riding around a beast of some kind because, no, this is a civilized land with technology. What you do ride around is a steam bike. Very you can cool. run around on this, this motorcycle-looking thing that runs on steam. Uh, we will also have jetpacks. I, I've been pressing the space bar to jump, and it says jetpack not equipped. And I'm like, oh, where do I get my jetpack? They're coming. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, real quick, let me interrupt. Right now, guys, if you can get into the beta, and there are beta keys available, check the Sounds of Steam Facebook page or Twitter or whatever, and I will give links to wherever I know that there's keys accessible. Um, but going to their page, there is City of Steam Beta Extras, and you could go in and pay a little bit of money, anywhere from ten to $500, and you get some cool stuff. Uh, real quick, the things that appeal to me I'm looking at is uh, 
you get things like a name reservation in even the lowest level ones. You get extra beta keys. You get Electrum that's the in-game money, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. so they give you some in-game money with it. Going up to the really cool, like, $500 one, you get all kinds of things, including you can design your own item. You get to design yes. your own avatar for the forum. You get a collaborator pet, which, yeah, we got to talk about that one there, Gabriel. Um, <laughs> I'm a pet whore. Uh, I say as my cat is rubbing on me, I'm sure you can see that. Uh, but you get a pre-beta guided tour, all kinds of really cool stuff, In in-game name color. That's something else I noticed when running around in the game, by the way, jumping tangents here. There's folks sure. with brass names and the COS logo above their head, so there are, in the beta testing, kind of game yep. masters everywhere. Actually, um, anybody with the COS logo on top of their head is a, de- a developer, so we, we've been playing our own game, we've been looking at what players were doing and talking to them. Um, we, we, we've been taking part, yeah. That's very cool. It's, uh, and it helps with answering questions. Though, as I think I mentioned previously at some point in time, you have players sitting in there who have been with you since alpha, and they're just yes. sitting there answering the questions for everyone, which I'm sure is terribly handy for the developers to actually work instead of chat. Very much so, especially considering the difference in time zones. Uh, when we actually sleep, it's nice to have fans in a proper time zone with other people playing that they can help out with. <laughs> nice. Uh, how is your balance of PvP versus PvE versus RP? So player versus player, player versus environment versus role-playing. Um, role-playing is there. Uh, it's mostly with uh, if you want to follow the story, like I mentioned earlier, if, um, mm-hmm. if you want to do your personal family story, there's a lot of role-playing there. Um, with the companies, or what we call our guilds as, as companies, uh, there's a lot of potential role-playing there as well because you, you open up your own company in this world not to gain territory or arbitrary other things, to just beat other people. No, you're, you're trying to gain assets. You're trying to gain power and control within the, this metropolis government. Okay, so you're automatically going to have perks built into the guild system, the company system? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the perks are little bonuses you can get through kind of like an achievement system. When you, um, when you reach certain points, when you've reached certain goals, you get extra perks that you can add as passive bonuses to new characters. Very cool. Uh, as for PvE, PvP, there is a PvP arena. We're still working on fleshing that out. It's still in its, very much in its basic form now. You can compete in one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, and five-on-five for, um, what we call honor points, we can, which you can trade in for unique items um, in the, uh, the arena store. Very cool. Uh, PvE, PvE is a lot more PvE uh, right now than um, PvP. Of course. Uh, which you, you go in dungeon instances where you can either go solo, and if you do, it's your own private instance. Nobody else will come in and try to steal your loot while you're trying to grind and find your own stuff. Right. If you're in a team, then the team can go with you, but that's it. Nobody else will start trying to mess your stuff up. So it's a standard instant situation with that? Exactly. Same same with uh, dueling. If you're dueling one-on-one with somebody just um, outside of the arena, you go to your own private instance so other people won't just jump in and try to backstab you or anything. It'll be... Now, does that also count for random mobs roaming the world? Um, random mobs, we, we don't have that right now. There's, there's no respawn or anything. What, what happens is if you go in a private instance, you can clear it out. Right. And... 
nothing will respawn until you leave and come back and everything will be responding. Yeah, I actually went back into the wrong one again. I went into the well twice and went, oh, this is, where, <laughs> this is under the, I was thought it was under the houses where you, which by the way, that, that's something else, guys. You immediately kind of get your own house. It's one of the opening missions is to clean up your house and stock it with this and that and you run around the, the refuge, the town and get these items by doing different missions or requests. What, what you might like about this is that the first house you get is the crappiest thing you'll ever see. It's, it's dirty, it's, it's, it's falling apart, but it's part of the motivation to move up. As mm -hmm. you move to different suburbs, you can get a different, much nicer house there. So you'll have your own so it's personalized just like real house. Life. Moving. Yeah, yeah, like real life, you start <laughs> in this crappy house that you share with everybody else. Yeah, um, but eventually you get your you'll 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 get your own house, which we plan to. I hope we can do it. Um, you can customize the inside. You can buy, you can buy stuff to decorate and buy stuff to to have your little own little bonuses in there. Throwing my two cents in on this one, I hear that from a lot of people that will wander from game to game. If they do not have high level content, it is the uh, customization content that will keep them loyal to a game. Being able mm -hmm. to change their their outfits, their guild halls, their mounts, whatever, what have you, specializing and personalizing it, it gives them that connection to something they created that keeps them coming back. Oh, yeah, just, just look at games like Minecraft. People have been going That's nuts true. for that because you build something, it's yours, you feel like you're attached to it. Yeah. Uh, not, 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 that's not to say we can have anything clo remotely close to that kind of uh, personalization, but we... Uh, we still want people to be able to add their own personal touch to things. Oh, uh, I'm looking over your uh, collaborator packs, which is what I mentioned earlier, and there is something in here called Founder of Nexus. If you pay the big amount, they actually give you a statue in Nexus. Yeah, you, 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 you get carved onto the statue, which is a Nexus. Yeah, you, your name gets on there. So, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, you can permanently have your name on it on something. There's It'll also be a permanent part of the Nexon history. <laughs> so pick a cool name, people. Really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Do not go with Superman. One, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are you going to have a lot of uh, goofy extra stuff like uh, non-combat pets, etc.? Oh yeah. Well, one of the pets that we have now is um, what we call a marsh puggle. And uh -huh. just the name, isn't that just so cute? You want one? It, it is. So um, where do they're, I kind of, they're, they're kind of like a cross between frogs and lizards, but cute. Right, because uh, there are actually look at bearded dragons; those are damn cute. So, exactly. So, so where do where do I get this? Um, pets. There are two ways. You can, of course, buy one for money if you want one right away, or uh, in. The game, there's something, it, it ties in to kind of a cycle, but there's something we have called challenge dungeons where you can do them daily, and if uh -huh. you reach certain goals with a team or on your own, I saw that, uh, yeah. you'll, get, you'll, you'll, you'll get challenged. Yeah, you saw, yeah, you get challenged. And with those orbs, you can go to a transmuter, which you can use to f produce random items from it. One of those items is a. So you, you, even though it's available from the store, you can also work for it to eventually get it yourself. Okay, that's cool. I'll keep that in mind because, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm a bit of a pet whore and like to collect the little guys. So, yeah, I'll yeah, look into that. We're, we're thinking of some other cool pet ideas. Right now, we only have the marshmallow, but uh, I've mm -hmm. been pushing the the designers 
to include a pet clock roach because we just love them. There you go. Yeah, I saw those when I was looking over the bestiary. So, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt your designers have discussed dozens of ideas between clockwork mechanisms and, you know, humanoids and then cute little bog monsters to mm -hmm. furry things. To Yeah, there's a ton of ideas out there and easy enough to make all kinds of cool things. Oh, and then mix and match and anything new we can think of that's fun. As well as a variety of way to get them, whether it's through completing missions or the cool transmutation, uh, transmutation orbs that you mentioned, or building them with crafting or random drops off mobs or bosses. So there's just a ton of ways to get them out there to people. To, to, to drop a pet from a mob would be hard to put in logically, though, but I don't know. They might. <clears throat> well, we've all found that two-handed sword inside a tiger at some point in time <laughs> so yeah it's it's one of those things maybe it was hiding behind the tree if you need a logic for that um so okay i've kind of reached the end of my list of questions do you have some basic stuff you want to give the listeners uh where to find the game where to get a beta key where not to go any information you want to give them i kind of open it up to you here well, um, it's very easy to get to the game as long as you know City of Steam. Just type in www.cityofsteam.com and you'll get right to the site. The play button and register button are right there. All you need to do is register and jump in if you have a key. Now, to get a key, there are several ways. Um, one of which is if you know one of our sites that are doing a very kind giveaway for us, uh, just over, head over there and ask nicely and I'm sure they'll... Uh, I'm sure they'll help you out if they have some left. Um, another way is if you sign up to our newsletter on our website, uh, we'll not only be sending you updates on development and everything, but uh, you'll have a chance to win a beta key from us. Uh, we'll be sending out a random amount to random people, and you might get that one that way. Um, and last but not least, if you do want to support the game, with even the lowest amount of, uh, of our collaborator packs at that $10, uh, that does guarantee you access to the beta test. So if you just want to support us or you just you don't want to bother about looking around for a key and you just want to jump in the game and you're, you're willing to, uh, to support us a bit, give us a bit and we'll, uh, we'll give you access right away. It's, and I really like how you're doing that, that whole pre-purchase on the beta thing and the levels. That's pretty awesome. And, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, ahead. just one more thing I almost forgot to mention. Uh, by supporting us, um, we have what we call the Steamometer. And if you guys kind of know uh, how Kickstart works, you have kind of the, the meter that goes up and re you reach certain goals. Uh, we decided to do a fusion of that uh, on our own site, whereas you don't only need to pay us money to bring that up. You can also spread, uh, you can also add points to it by uh, spreading the word uh, on social media. So it's not just a money meter, it's it's a point meter. So if you buy collaborator collaborator packs, uh -huh. that brings up the points. But if you don't have money, if you don't like us enough, or you know, you just wanna, you, you wanna bring that up, um, you can like us on Facebook. Um, Follow us on Twitter, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and that will bring the points up. And now what that does is that unlocks earlier beta content. Stuff we planned for open beta, mm -hmm. we, will, we will inject ourselves with extra caffeine to work harder and make that content available for closed beta instead. 
Well, very cool. It's I have uh, done all those things except the YouTube channel, so I have to do that and make sure I get my points. Yes, please. Uh, you, you, that should add about I think it's uh, I think it's about twenty points that will add on the uh, nice on the meter. And another nice thing about it is if I do that, I can also tell other folks how to do it, which of course helps them, helps you, and and that's, that's the bottom line. Get it all spread that's around. That's exactly what we want to do. Yeah, it's it's it's. In a way, maybe kind of manipulative, but hey, we're small, we're indie, that's that's how we get out. We, we, we're not going to be on TV commercials, we're not going to be on the big websites with big ads, we need to, oh, to get this across. You give it time and you'll get those fan-based fan videos on YouTube yes. and you'll make some of your own and you'll have your commercials and it'll be better than being on TNT because you'll go viral. <laughs> And, uh, if 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 you want a little funny uh, video we did about the game, I recommend going on YouTube, uh -huh. looking up City of Steam Power Steam, and that should give you a good laugh. Okay, it's I'll uh, do that, and then I'll put it up as a link here on uh, our Facebook and Twitter. Yes, City of Steam uh, Power uh, Steam, right? City of Steam Power Steam. We were um, we based it off on um, another funny video that that was really popular on YouTube. And we thought we we would do our own little spin on it and. Uh, it turned out pretty good. We were kind of proud of it. Very cool. Okay, Gabriel, it's, uh, you got anything else to add for the listeners before we finish this up here? Um, not that I can think of at this moment, but um, I'm sure I'll think of something really cool next time we meet. Okay, now when we come to the end of uh, beta, maybe uh, right around New Year's or something, maybe we can get you back on here, give us an update, let us know how things are going, and get us ready for the open beta in a couple months after that. I'll be happy to uh, keep in touch, and we'll set that up. Absolutely. I will be spamming your Facebook page and whatnot <laughs> as we go along. Okay, buddy, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Glad that you uh, took the time to have me. It was, it was fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining author Travis I. Sivart and the other writers, content creators, and all-around amazing people for our discussion here on Right Join us again soon, and until you do, make sure you create with passion, enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right now.